there, I'm Leslie Goodburn. You're listening to the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcast. In the podcast, we look at pancreatic cancer across its impacts, outcomes, and future treatment and support. We'll hear from patients, loved ones about the reality of the diagnosis. We'll hear from surgeons, oncologists, and nurses about the work they do to support people who are affected. We'll hear about the wonderful work done by researchers to find a breakthrough in understanding and treatments for the future. We hope that as a result of the podcast, you'll learn more about the signs and symptoms, about how this diagnosis affects the family, about the hope for the future. Thank you for listening. Charlotte and I look forward to you joining us on our journey through pancreatic cancer throughout the 30 days of November with contributors from across the world. The Purple Rainbow podcasts are produced as part of Seth's legacy in memory of my wonderful, kind, curious, funny husband, Seth Goodburn. Welcome to today's episode. I'm Charlotte and today I am talking with Stein van Lehoven. He's a liver, pancreas and bile duct surgeon based at Bristol Royal Infirmary. He's also part of the Upper GI Surgeons Global Network and as part of that he organises webinars. This month's webinar, as you'll hear later on in the podcast, is about pancreatic cancer. But first I asked Shane to tell me a little bit about what it is he does in Bristol. Yeah, so basically my, uh, so I'm a surgeon, we, um, our, our main uh, uh, job is to treat patient, patients with uh, uh, cancers, malignancies of the uh, the liver, the pancreas and the and the bile ducts. Uh, so that is our uh, our main bit of work. We also treat people with sort of benign afflictions uh, on their, uh, the gallbladder. So a lot of people with gallstone disease uh, uh, pass our, uh, our clinics and theatres. And the last thing that we do is uh, we treat people who suffer from uh, infections of the pancreas, which you call pancreatitis. Um, so these come in sort of as an acute patient, and we'll treat them on the wards as well. And then from the yeah, from the cancer surgery point of view, we'll do a, a resections of 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 malignant cancerous tumors from the from the pancreas and and the liver. That's that's uh, sort of the the day to day stuff we do. And obviously we see people in clinic. We've got all kinds of meetings as such to talk about patients, multidisciplinary team meetings. It's quite much as a team sport doing a liver pancreas surgery or surgery in general so it's a large team of people that get involved with one single patient and, and a large group of people that sort of help decide what the best sort of a route for the patient through the hospital is so yeah and when it comes to pancreatic cancer I think we all know it's a it's a tricky cancer yep. to say the least what yep. what are the main sort of challenges that you face so I think the biggest thing is is that most people come at a point, uh, get diagnosed at a point when it's already uh, at a stage that it's not uh, treatable with a curative. So uh, to treat them and, and and cure them from the from the from the disease, and that main reason for that is is because of the location of the tumor. Often, um, it takes a long time for uh, pancreatic cancers to give th- symptoms. And uh, when people present with symptoms, they're often quite vague. So it takes, they've got a little bit of a diagnostic workup. Work so a lot of people then come and, and because the pancreas lies in an area of the body, which is 
uh, yeah, it's sort of like a, a, a very uh, busy uh, traffic junction for a lot of routes coming into of blood vessels going uh, towards very uh, uh, important organs in the body. And as soon as these blood vessels are involved, there is no way of removing the tumor safely, which is sustainable with with with, with uh, good quality of life. So then the patient is at a stage that he's not resectable anymore, and then the patient often only has the chance of uh, prolonging of life with with chemotherapy drugs. So that's one thing. And and on top of that, even if patients are um, are still technically resectable, it is still a very aggressive form of cancer, which has a very uh, a high chance of, of spreading through the body. Um, and even with a very, very clean and very good resection combined with chemotherapy, there's still the five-year survival is, is very limited if you compare it to things like breast cancer or, or, or bowel cancer, for instance. And that's unfortunately hasn't really changed over the last few decades. And we've been getting a few strong chemotherapy drugs at the moment. We're pushing the boundaries, but still we're really struggling in, in, in stretching that, that sort of five-year survival. And even patients that are upfront or at least initially seem to be, be treatable, curable. And how frustrating is that for for you as as a doctor? Yeah, that's that's not a great thing. Obviously, you want to treat people and you want to cure them. So it's always disappointing when you see, especially when they're relatively young and they come uh, come and they're fit otherwise, and they come with this, uh, and you've got this treatment, but then this 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 just anatomical location of the tumor sort of uh, prevents you from doing something. Is is um, that is very that is very frustrating, because the other group of patients that maybe not go to theatre or other people that are quite unfit. There's also a group of patients that are quite unfit, and and sometimes we decide even even if patients are technically resectable, that because of the procedure they need for pancreatic cancer, which is often what we call a whipple procedure, where we um, uh, uh, remove the tumor. It's a very big operation with a very high risk of, of complications, and then sometimes we elect to not to operate on people because we feel that they won't do well after the procedure so there's a basically two things so uh, but it is it is frustrating obviously you want to you want to operate as many people as you can but but unfortunately uh, patient fitness and anatomical location of tumor sometimes um, makes us uh, yeah have to uh, abandon that 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 wish you talk about sort of the patients and, and how important it is for them and this is something you're going to be looking at sort of looking at the patient journey the patients you know the patients themselves within their treatment uh, in a in a webinar in this during this month um tell me a little bit about about this, this webinar please we decided to do a webinar is normally so the webinars we normally do are very sort of much orientated on the scientific uh, studies and you know technical bits of surgery you know we had webinars on all kinds of you know how to do robotic resections or keel resections and how to approach the things differently and such it's very much uh, focused on um, senior trainees and and consultants who who operate in this field and to 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 learn from sort of the experts in the field but then uh, because we we've been doing it a year now in november so um, we felt it was nice to give us give it a bit of a, a special uh, flavor this this month and especially because it's also obviously pancreatic cancer awareness month uh, and it coincided with that so we thought it would be a very good idea to to uh, focus a bit more on on that and so the webinar we now uh, sort of uh, I'm gonna, gonna we're gonna uh, gonna have on the 16th of November this year. It's a day before the National Pancreatic Cancer Day. We'll be very focused on on the patient and and the family of the patient. So so Leslie who um, who 
uh, got me uh, got me on this podcast Kaylee. <laughs> we sort of approached each other sort of simultaneously where I was interested in having her speak because she's very prolific on on Twitter um, and I'm sure I can she's happy for me to say here on the podcast that obviously she's the uh, survivor of a uh, husband who passed away unfortunately from pancreatic, pancreatic cancer which was discovered quite late and was very aggressive so I think he passed away within 33 days after diagnosis which is obviously really really rapid um, and uh, we had a long chat on the phone uh, a few weeks ago where she really told me about that time that uh, that he was in hospital and, and and sort of the procedures that were done and sometimes that it's uh, very difficult for patients to say no to certain things and, and they do it for all different kind of reasons so um, we were so basically we wanted to sort of bring across to to the same group as we normally have our webinars for sort of consultant surgeons and the junior trainees and senior trainees etc etc sort of to give them a bit of a broader view that you know to step away a bit from the technical side of things and, and give them sort of a patient perspective uh, uh, of the of this disease so Leslie is going to be one of the speakers and the other speaker is going to be a, a patient from uh, from from another hospital than mine who has had a pancreatic surgery operation for pancreatic cancer and actually survived uh, I mean still still alive obviously so he is he's a much more positive positive outcome but equally that is an important thing for, for people to hear because although you have a positive outcome of this operation you just often went through a lot of hardships as well and difficult decisions and and uh, loss of quality of life so i think it, it, it's a very good sort of way to have a discussion about more the the softer side of things not just a technical thing is this resectable or not do we need to keep a chemo or not no, but what does it really mean for the patient to go through this and 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 how can you um uh, help a patient in the decision making in choosing for one way or the other or equally how can you help a patient to accept that they might not have resectable disease but that doesn't per se mean that you know they have to start uh, you know sit in their house and nothing's going to happen they still can with 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 good palliative treatment and good supportive care they still might have a time which is reasonable quality of life where and where they um, where they can still sort of uh, enjoy life a bit and, and spend time with their loved one so it's so you have that that that's basically sort of what we hopefully want to achieve that people get this sort of this yeah more awareness and just technical side of things but that there's more than that really it's one of those things isn't it when we're all in our own little worlds i mean i know you you just said to me before that this is your first podcast interview whereas for me this is an everyday type of thing so i understand it all and it's perfectly normal for me to be on a podcast whereas for you a little bit unsettling i'm getting a little bit not quite normal and it's easy for me to take for granted how you're feeling right now because this is my normal. And I guess in a different way, it's kind of the same for for doctors, cult, consultants, surgeons, wherever they are in that on that level to kind of go, this is my world. I understand the technicalities to kind of for, not forget isn't quite the right word, but to kind of get wrapped up in that and not understand that patients are all this is brand new for patients sometimes just because that's what you know we do that as human beings this is our world we're used to it we get it well you, yeah i don't want to numb is maybe the wrong word to use but you get sort of like a um it's sort of a professional way of looking at things and you see it all the time so it doesn't affect you as much but equally when you would be the when it suddenly when you've never seen it before and you're a patient you suddenly see your 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 loved one in a very dire situation after a complication of surgery for instance 
um, in an intensive care setting with tubes coming all out of the place. And, you know, we will, as doctors, we see, oh, you know, the bloods are improving a little bit, you know, oh, he's waking up a little bit, so he's, he's doing a bit better. But the patient just, the, the family of the patient just see this really unwell person. They go, oh my goodness, is he going to survive? And that's that's obviously the discrepancy between doctors. We look at it, again, from a very technical point of view, and it's very easy to forget that there is actually a patient and emotions and feelings. So you have to really take time for that and sometimes sit down with people and, and talk to them about that. And equally, uh, uh, when you speak to patients for the first time in clinic, when they come with the diagnosis, they often, that that is uh, uh, for us as surgeons, often quite lucky because we're often not the first ones who have to tell them that, that they have cancer. They already know when they come to us. But sometimes we obviously have to tell them that they are not resectable and not curable. And that's obviously a blow to to them uh, and their family. And um, yeah, you have to be careful that you don't sort of just tell it as a very, I try not to tell it as sort of like a, you know, very technical thing. You have to be aware of their feelings as well. But that's something you learn throughout your, your career. I mean, I've been a consultant now for two and a half years, but been, you know, being went to medical school more than 20 years ago and then been a doctor for, you know, so many times. And I've, I've also dropped the ball uh, at several occasions as well that you go into a conversation and think, oh, I'm going to play this way and sort of gets away from you a little bit. And, and then you have to sort of try to get control of it again. And that can sometimes be be difficult because you always have this bias when you see people come in, you know, you think, oh, this is the way I'm going to play this conversation. But then suddenly people are a bit off piece and you have to either adapt or, or, or lose the control of that conversation. And then I guess, you know, people are hearing quite often bad news. People are hearing news that they're maybe not ready to hear either. And it's not just the patient, it's the it's the family of the patient, it's the loved ones as well. How how do you make sure that everybody is involved and everyone feels like they've that they're part of that that process? Well, yeah, so if they're there, obviously, I always tell people they have to bring at least one family member because sometimes you get people without. And I always say you better bring somebody because you need somebody there to support you. But equally, two people here more than one. Um, and it's also a process. So you tell a lot, you tell things in the in the first point. But if you also know that, you know, there's still some tests pending, you sometimes you don't come with the blow straight away. You sort of spread it out a little bit. I don't want to say drip feed is maybe the wrong word. But again, you know, you you sort of try to, it's not often one conversation. It's a string of conversations where you sort of, and that, and that's again a bit of experience where you see where you have to read people a little bit to see where where they're at and how they respond to what you're saying. Um, I mean, having said all that, I mean my first thing is you have to be very open and forward with patients. You have to be very direct. I mean, if if there's bad news, I often come out with that straight away. So that's very important. But equally, you have to sort of also. Um, not overload them with all the bad things. So you have to be honest, but equally you have to steer them a little bit. Um, so, th- and and some people want more than other people. Some people don't want to hear anything in the first conversation, and other people want to hear a lot. So you have to sort of go with that a bit as well. And luckily, at every conversation we have in in, in clinic, we've got one of our clinical nurse specialists. We've got five uh, clinical nurse specialists in our team, and there's always one of them uh, there as well who who will sit in and 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 who will also talk to the patients during that during that uh, uh, clinic appointment and you know, always let them have a chat with the patient as well. And after they leave me um, in clinic, they go and speak to the, the clinical nurse specialist and they get the telephone number of the clinical nurse specialist and they will check up on them. So there is there's all these moments where they sort of um, get a chance to speak to a, a medical professional and not only a surgeon, but clinical nurse specialist and all these kind of things, yeah. Going back to the webinar, who do you want to be on this webinar and what do you want them to get from it? So 
obviously I want my my normal uh, my normal audience, which are trainee surgeons, trainee HB surgeons, consultant surgeons. This is not my normal audience. I hope they will all be there, and 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 because I think it's important for them. But equally, it'd be nice maybe to get a bit more uh, people like patients on the webinar as well, because uh, uh, that gives a nice nice mix of people, and 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 maybe some uh, our clinical nurse specialists and people who are on the daily dip daily basis involved with treating people with with pancreatic cancer and i think every uh, healthcare professional that's uh, that that deals with people with cancer or pancreatic cancer will get something out of it not only surgeons um, so i think i hope my audience is a bit broader than just the surgeons this time because i think it's important for a lot of people dealing with these patients to sort of understand where they're coming from as well and for patients how important is it that their voices are heard Oh, it's, I mean, it's paramount. I think you know the patient is eventually in control, and if if a patient doesn't want a certain thing, um, I will always have a little bit of you know. I mean, I don't want to say I'm paternalistic, but I mean, I think you know, if you really feel the patient is making the wrong decision for the wrong reasons, I'll try to try to persuade them with good arguments to go for the other thing. But equally, if the patient you know has very good arguments for not wanting something, at the end of the day, it's their call and they need to make that decision. And I think that's, so I mean, the only one really important in the room is the patient at that moment. And they need to decide if they want this, yes or no. It's hard, isn't it, when you're when you're that patient or if you're the family and the family of the patient as well, when they're making these decisions about what what is best, is it quality of life, extending life? It's It's so difficult. It, it's difficult for people to fathom, I think, so to, to grasp for people what is uh, what is going to happen to me because they have never been through a whip-off, they've never been through chemotherapy, they don't know what is really going to hit them. It's a freight train, basically, but they don't know what is going to happen. And uh, and it, what obviously a good thing is people still have a lot of hope. So when a doctor starts treating them, they feel like I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to I'm going to get to a certain point and it's going to be a lot of prolongation, all these kind of things. But you have to be very honest with patients. You know, I always tell them, you know, this is, this is sort of your, your timeline. It starts here and this is where it ends, um, but I don't know what the length of this timeline is. So what I'm going to do with the treatment is, is I'm going to, sh- so this is your timeline of quality of life. Let's put it like that. You know, the treatment will shorten the quality of life of your life because you're in the big operation is not good for your quality of life. Chemotherapy is, is not very really great. You know, you'll have a rough time, but as long as the, if the, 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 the end point moves further away then the uh, then the, the the beginning creeps up if you know what I mean. Then you actually win quality of life. So as long as that's a positive thing, then I think you you know I would try to persuade people to go for treatment. But if that's not the case, then you have to also be honest with people that that, that things are not going to help for them. And that's sometimes also difficult for patients to sort of uh, come to terms with. So yeah, and, and and the other thing maybe with family, I think you know you also also see a lot with patients is that patients tell me yeah i'll i'll take chemotherapy so my kids you know blah blah blah, and these kind of things and i said well that's the wrong that's the wrong that's the wrong reason the reason for you should be that you want this because you're the one who's going to suffer through this if you want to you need to make sure that you make the decision for yourself and 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 not because you think that other people want it for you and that and that's very important but also very difficult sometimes for people to, to 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 understand yeah Luckily, there's a lot of things happening these days um, with new chemotherapies, uh, uh, more aggressive ways of treating the cancer, which hopefully over the next sort of decade or so will show an actual improvement of survival, which has been, well, very difficult to see for the last few decades. So I hope hopefully with that um, and, and the advancement of, of, of science, we're going to get better outcomes. And I think yeah, what I really hope again, you know, is that... Um, 
uh, again the webinar i hope that it also uh, opens up the eyes of people that you know it's just not about the, the operation not about chemotherapy but it's more holistic the patient is there and you have to make the right choice for the patient and, and the patient needs to also feel that they are allowed to speak out when they're in hospital and allowed to to sort of uh, vent their sort of worries and their, you know uh, uh, if they really want to go through a certain choice, I think that's very important for patients to to realize. So I hope actually, but to answer a bit more of your pre another question, I hope some patients will dial in as well to to listen to some of their peers to see what 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 uh, yeah to maybe as a sort of a help them make decisions or as a as support. Yeah. Thank you so much, Justine, for talking to me today. Really fascinating conversation, and really do appreciate his time. Don't forget, we have a podcast out every weekday throughout November. So that's Monday to Friday. You can expect a new podcast popping up in your podcast player. And if you want to find out more about what we do, you can go to purplerainbow.co.uk.